Welcome to Shekinah International Podcast. Our ministry reflects the five-fold ministry model Apostle Paul mentions in Ephesians 4, 11, and 12. Our podcast features leaders from multiple churches who are passionate about equipping Christians just like you to walk in purity and power, fulfilling your God-given purpose. God wants to do great exploits through you, so enjoy today's podcast. So I wanted to tell you guys um, that I, on this special occasion, I have worn the socks that Lyric gave me for birthday. Yay! These are my these are my sermon socks. But I want to tell you that God has told me that I should put no confidence in the flesh. So we're going to pray and trust in God. So, uh, so Abba, we, um, we just ask that every word that's spoken is from you, that any word that wasn't written down that I have on this piece of paper, you would fill in, that anything that shouldn't be there, you would take away, Lord God, that... Um, the words that we should hear and that we should abide by, Lord God, that we can learn from, Lord, that you would open up our hearts. And if if anything is spoken that is not for us, Lord God, that you would close our hearts to that thing, Lord. We just ask that that um, you would be glorified today in Jesus' name. What we're going to talk about here is success in God. I mean, we all know about success in this world. And and we know that we're not going to be eternally rewarded for successes in this world. I mean, they're nice for a season, but if we can have success in God and the building of his his kingdom, um, that's what we really want. Because you know what? We're going to live with God forever. And One thing I just wanted to tell you is that, I don't want to get off topic because I might repeat, but um, I'm always inspired by the verse, you know, where Andrew says to his brother Peter, we have found the Messiah, come and see. Because it wasn't, you know, it wasn't this person or that person who can solve our problems. God sent his son as savior and um and we um and and we don't solve people's problems by saying hey look at me see what i've done maybe you could be like me or copy me or something the way the way that we solve their problems is bring them to the savior and the savior can save them utterly to the utmost that's who we are so it was probably 15 years ago, and uh, I was at New Covenant, and my pastor was Fred McLone, and he told us something that was shook my boat a little bit. He said, God is not mad at you. He said it to everybody, God is not mad at you. And I knew that he should be mad at me. Because I knew my flaws, I knew my failures, I knew my weaknesses, I knew about the sins that I would sometimes do, and even after I repented, then again and again. And um, but God was not mad at me. I mean, He said that to all of us. And um, 
And so I thought, well, whose expectations am I failing? Am I failing man's expectations? Is that why, you know, am I failing Satan's expectations? Am I failing God's expectations? You know, if our measurement, if my measurement is against that of other men, or against what Satan says, you know, is right, you know, of course he's out to kill, steal, and destroy, but you know what? God has a different measurement than we do, and by his measurement, we can be in the perfect spot exactly where we're supposed to be. So the question is, um, if we're supposed to be a success in God instead of simply a success in man's eyes, um, then I thought, well, I got this one down. <laughs> I didn't have it down. So, so a couple weeks ago, I went to my high school graduation, and I had it was a very upper middle class school. I went to you know it was about I thought at the time that it was about half Jewish and half Catholic, and I knew that you know half the people were going to get, to go to U of M and half were going to go to MSU and you know and 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 there were even a few Ivy Leaguers there and. Um, and I thought, well, you know, at this point of life, you know, that age is the great equalizer. Well, half the people that I met, that I talked to, were medical doctors. And, and this kid who punched me in the arm when I was in the fifth grade, he's been a dentist. And I thought, oh, my man. And so then it made me wonder, you know, am I comparing myself to them? You know, if I compare myself to all these people... Um, then I feel under, but, you know, in God, in God, um, we can be a success in God no matter what we do on this earth if our hearts are right. So the question is, was Jesus a success? Well, according to the world's standards, Jesus was not a success, the world's standards. Because he left a great job as a carpenter. He was skilled so that he could be an itinerant preacher. <laughs> he didn't have a big job title. He didn't have much money. He didn't live in a fancy house. He didn't find favor. He wasn't, he wasn't being you know, acclaimed by the religious authorities of the time. And although a lot of people were following him, you know, because he was uh, healing them and people were following them. When he went to the cross, all but a few people deserted him. And there he was, a seeming failure. But from another perspective, Jesus was the most successful person ever to walk on the planet. And nobody could do what he did, and he showed us the way of salvation because he was the way of salvation. So how did Jesus define success for himself? His definition was to do the will of the Father and bear witness to the truth. That's so important. What did Jesus consider to be a successful life for himself and for us? It's about obeying God, 
in putting into practice the things that Jesus taught us. That is success in the kingdom. That's God's definition. So the world says, no, no, no. The world is saying money. The world is saying a great job, a claim, a fancy car, an expensive house, popularity. You know, the world has all kinds of definitions. But the problem with these definitions is that they're all temporary. Because you can get rich and then you can lose all your money. You can get a great job and get fired. You can, you can have an expensive house, an expensive car, and they can be stolen or destroyed. Not to mention our health, that can be ruined, you know. The kind of suggest that, or success that Jesus talked about was more substantial because it was spiritual success. And spiritual success is not about how many things you have, but about how much love you express, how much humility and obedience to God are in your life. Obedience to God, humility, and love. That's what God treasures in us. So what did Jesus tell us in Matthew 6? He says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, your heart will be also. Oh, let me do this. Okay. This is just, I, it's hard to read, I guess. But anyway, um, in John 4.34, you know, the disciples found Jesus talking to the Samaritan woman. And this is what he told her. He said that my food is to do the will of him who sent me. This is, this is, so his food was to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. So our goals are not to accomplish our work, but to accomplish God's work. So then in Matthew 16, 22 and 3, um, you know, Jesus had said, you know, commended him for saying that he was, uh, gosh, um, <laughs> you know, that he was uh, the Christ, the Son, and the Son of the living God. And, um, and, then and then Peter rebuked Jesus, and then Jesus rebuked Peter. And um, he said, get behind me, Satan, you're a stumbling block. For you are not setting your mind on God's purposes, but men's. And success in Jesus' mind was to set our minds on God's purposes. You know, if we, if we do the purpose of, of God, then God will help us. I mean, God, um, we will not lose our reward. Jesus fulfilled at least 300 prophecies. God gave him wisdom on what to do. He gave him, he opened doors of opportunity. But Jesus had a role, and that was to obediently walk into them to fulfill his assignment. And some of those took a lot of guts, such as his crucifixion, or opposing people who wanted to th 
stone him or whatever. It took courage. The, the disciples said, when he was going to go to Lazarus, you're going to go, we're going to go back through Judea. <laughs> and I believe that Thomas said um, something about being killed. or I forgot what it was, but it took courage sometimes, you know, to do these things. You know, people say that Jesus lived the most predestined life ever, ever. Because, you know, we go and we try this and we try that according to what we think is right. But Jesus knew what he had to fulfill and uh, according to scripture. And, um, and he, mar you know, he, he did those things for us. So we each have gifts and callings and families. We've been made brand new. The Holy Spirit is living in us. Wisdom is ours for the asking. In other words, we're equipped. We can do everything through Christ who strengthens us. And like Jesus, we need to walk obediently into God's purposes for our lives. And doing God's work in this life requires a servant's heart. You know, I was pretty, um, I never, when I was young, I never wanted to be a servant because my mother had a servant and she would, you know, she would be in the house and she would collect the trash and she would wash the windows and she would do, you know, these things. And that wasn't a life for me. And then I was told as a young believer that I had to be a servant, have a servant's heart. And... Um, it, it did not seem very glamorous to me. <laughs> well, I want to tell you that no one has been a servant like Jesus. You know, he, um, he should have been glorified. Sorry. He should have been glorified, you know. He should have been honored. He should have wore the royal robes, you know. He should not have been born in a stable, you know, and, and uh, weaned in a, you know... <laughs> He, um, he shouldn't have been spat on. He shouldn't have been, you know, you know they tried to murder him. He, he shouldn't have been crucified naked and whipped and, and worn the crown. of. He shouldn't have nothing. He shouldn't have been, they shouldn't have yelled epithet. He was a man of humility, and he took that humility so that we could be honored. We are honored, you know, that we're honored before God. And he took, he took, he became humble. You know, I, I remember when, um, when he stood before Pilate and um, Pilate said, won't you speak? You know, why won't you speak? Don't you know that I have the power? Well, when Paul was laid out and they were about to flog him after he had come back to Jerusalem, he said, don't you know that I'm a Roman citizen? Jesus kept silent so that Paul could speak and defend himself. Obedience to God, it requires humility and it requires trust. That's, you know, I'm reminded of some familiar passenger, um, sorry, passages like the, the great commandments, you know, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, strength. And you should love one another 
as yourself. Another one, Micah 6.8, what does the Lord require of you but to do justly, to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God? And I'm, I remember in um, Isaiah, you know, Jesus said, that's not the way you fast. That's not the way you fast. And then there's the description of what fasting is. And I think maybe Isaiah 58, and, um, and it talks about doing justly and loving mercy and walking humbly with God. That's, that's the true fast. We've got the sheep and goat judgment, you know, feeding them the least of my brethren when we're hungry or thirsty, you know, visiting them when they're sick or in hospital, clothing them when they're naked. And also fearing the Lord, which is the beginning of wisdom. These are things that God will honor in us. So they are success in God. It says in Luke one twenty four that Jesus said that unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. What God wants for us as we pursue success in God is that we surrender ourselves to whatever God has for us. And when we do that, then we will be like the kernel of wheat that falls to the ground and dies. It doesn't die so that it dies, but it dies so that it multiplies. And God is multiplying us into the lives of other people. And we are, our goal is to populate heaven. And God is, you know, gives us that privilege. It tells us in Matthew eleven twenty eight to 30, you know, we talk about being a servant. We talk about surrendering ourselves and allowing our seat, kernel of wheat to die. But it says that in Matthew eleven twenty eight to 30, come to me, all you who are wearied and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. So this is so we're not talking about asceticism. We're not talk, talking about masochism. We're not talking about, you know, having a bad life because Jesus gives us rest and he makes our yoke comfortable and his burden upon us is light. That's our burden. It's light. And yet the joy that we have when we follow the Lord is inexpressible. It says in Hebrews eleven six, without faith, it's impossible to please God, for he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he's a rewarder of those who seek him. God will reward us. You know, we surrender ourselves knowing that God will reward us. In Luke nineteen, fifteen to nineteen, it says, um, when he returned, having received the kingdom, he ordered the servants to whom he had given the money to, to be called to him that he might know what they had gained by doing business. The first came before him said, saying, Lord, your mina has made ten more. And he said, well done, good servant, because you have been faithful in a little. You'll have authority over ten cities. And the second came saying, Lord, your mina has made five. 
And he said to him, and you are to be over five cities. What is the Lord going to do with us on this earth? We have gifts and we have callings. We have a purpose on this earth. But we will continue to have a purpose during the millennial kingdom and in heaven. And I believe that we're going to rule and reign with Christ. And I believe that as we're faithful in this life, that, you know, even in the little things like the money things, the minor things, that we'll be ruling cities, that we'll be, you know, that we'll be orchestrating, God will um, or use us and, um, and we'll be helping God to rule in righteousness, you know, he'll be continue directing us by the Holy Spirit. We can't even imagine all that God has for us. We just know that in this life, we walk in faith. It says, you know, we, we, um, we know these things and yet we fall. You know, it's this stuff is not new to us. And God knows that we're, we've got weaknesses and that we need to be helped. And in Romans 8, 1 and 2, it says there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set each of us free from the law of sin and death. We're set free from the law of sin and death. There's no condemnation. We walk in God with a clear conscience. In Hebrews, here's some more, a little bit more. Hebrews 12, 2. It says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. We're not making ourselves perfect so that we can do everything God wants us to do. Jesus is making us perfect because he's, he's the author and the perfecter of our faith. And he's not condemning us for our, for our occasional failures. And so he says there's no condemnation. So this is where we should be. And this is where we sh how we position ourselves for success in God. In other words, there's a path to walking into all that, you know, I've described. And I just want to share a couple of verses with you that um, I believe represent the path, you know, or, I mean, the, as I understand it. Um, one of my very favorite uh, verses is Isaiah 66, verse 2. This is the one that I will esteem. He who is humble and contrite of heart and who trembles at my word. So I thought, what is humility? Well, humility is trusting in God and it's pointing people to Jesus rather than ourselves. You know, the proud say, look at me. But the humble say, look at Jesus, because he can save your soul. Satan is the symbol of pride. He says, I want to be like God. I can be like God. And he tries to sway human flesh. And what did he tempt Jesus with? You know, um, 
in the wilderness, he tempted him with the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. He says, you can rule this whole world. I give it to you. And Jesus was looking, wow, this is good stuff. Maybe he was thinking that. And then he said, but I won't worship you. I'll worship the Lord, my God. I won't worship anyone but the Lord. I'll put it all aside. The lust of the eyes don't mean anything to me. The lust of the flesh doesn't mean anything to me. The lust, the pride of life doesn't mean anything to me because I'm a worshiper of God. When we're contrite in spirit, it, it means that we're teachable. It means that as we read the scripture, we allow the, the word of God to teach us, to, write, to be written on our heart. Instead of having a heart of stone, we have a heart of flesh, and we're teachable, and that makes us contrite in heart. And when we trem tremble at his word, it means that when we read the word of God and we see a promise, then we know that God stands, his whole throne is behind that word, and that he watches over his word to perform it, and that he speaks it to us and he implants that seed of faith in us, and we believe that word, and that word is for us. That word obtains substance, and it, bec and it becomes power in us and through us. Deuteronomy 12, 28. Be careful to, to obey all the regulations I'm giving you so that it may always go well with you. That's a good promise, always go well with you and with you and your children after you, because you will be doing what's good and right in the eyes of the Lord your God. I want to tell you that in the book of Judges, the people were not doing what was good and right in God's eyes. They were doing what was right in their own eyes. And many times in scriptures, it says they did what was right in their eyes. But... You know, my most constant prayer, I mean, my most common prayer since I was saved is um, help me to do what's good and right in your eyes, O oh Lord. Help me to do what's good and right in your eyes. In John 15, 5, it says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, then you will bear much fruit. And apart from me, you can do nothing. So we're positioning ourselves in God. We're positioning ourselves by being humble, contrite, in spirit and trembling at his word. We're positioning ourselves by doing what's good and right in the eyes of the Lord. We're positioning ourselves by remaining on the vine because if we do, that fruit of the spirit that's in Jesus will become present in us. Without effort, we won't have to say, I'm going to be patient. I'm going to be patient. <laughs> I'm going to be kind. No, no, if it kills me, I'll be kind. That's not the way it works. We remain in Jesus, and he perfects the fruit of God in us. And people will see it, and it will be highly desirable. And, and, um, and finally, we're to... Um, we're to be a people, well, okay, before we get to that, sorry. Um, we have to be able to hear from God. 
if we hear from God, you know, we cultivate that. We we um, maybe it's maybe we're in bed, maybe we're taking a walk, maybe we're praying, or in tongues, or and we quiet ourselves, you know. And we try to hear from the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is faithful to tell us things, to give us perspective and wisdom. Another thing that we do to position ourselves in God is to trust in the Lord with all of our heart and rely not on our own understanding and in all our ways acknowledge him, and he will direct our paths. God wants us to do that. He wants us to remain on the vine. He wants us to hear, learn to hear and to trust in him. And he wants us to give thanks to him and to acknowledge him because this will cleanse our soul and it will guard our hearts. First Chronicles 16, 23 to 26 says, Sing to the Lord all the earth, Proclaim good news of his salvation from day to day. Tell of his glory among the nations, his wonderful deeds among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He also is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of this of the peoples are idols, but the Lord has made the heavens. The gods of the people are idols, but the Lord has made the heavens. He's greater than all these idols, Lord gods. So we praise his name. We worship his name. We glorify his name. It says in Philippians 4, 4 to 7, Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. Let your, let your gentle spirit be known to all people. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything by prayer and pleading with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I want to say that we don't have to be anxious. We don't have to fear anything. We can walk with Jesus. He guards our hearts. He guards our minds. We rejoice. Again, it says, let your gentle spirit. Doesn't that sound like one of the part of the fruit of the spirit? Everything is working together for us. Okay, so maybe god's mad when we start getting ahead maybe we're, we train and we we uh we get some training and we get a better job and we're getting a house and we're building buildings and we're accumulating retirement accounts and we're doing vacations we're doing the things of life that we enjoy doing is this against god no unless we make it an idol if we make these things idols then, then um, that will, it'll take our hearts away from God. But he ne never forbade any of his disciples from getting these things. When, um, when he was on the cross and, um, and he said to his mother, you know, this is your son and the son, this is your mother. 
and then John took her into his house. That suggests that he had a house. You know, I usually when when Jesus said, well, you know, the son of God doesn't have a place to lay his head. You know, he was, you know, then then it's like, are we all supposed to be camping on the ground? But <laughs> but but um, God is not against us having things. I had a um, I used to know somebody at New Covenant. His name was Bob Sawyer many years ago. And and um, he was older and he had accumulated some things. He had a um, bank account and he decided to move to China or near China and that he was going to be smuggling Bibles into China. And um, he gave me a little piece of advice before he left. And he said that um, while we should enjoy the blessings, we worship the creator. It's not wrong for us to have blessings, but we need to make sure that we're worshiping the creator and not the blessings. In Deuteronomy 8.18, but you're to remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the power to make wealth. God wouldn't give us the power. Any of us can go and get a job, and if we get a job, then we're making wealth. That comes from God. God has given us unique gifts and ways to contribute. This is the conclusion. As royal priests, we must reveal the nature of Jesus to the world. In John 14, 8 through 10, Philip says, Lord, show us the Father, and it's enough for us. And Jesus said to him, Have I been with you for so long, and yet you have not come to know me, Philip? The one who has seen me has seen the Father, and how can you say, Show us the Father? Do you not believe that I'm in the Father and the Father in me? Well, I want to tell you, tell you that Jesus is in us, and we're in Jesus. And if we live our, way, our lives the way that God wants us to, then we become conformed to his image. It talks about that in Romans 8. We become conformed to his image, and then the mirror, we become as close as we can, a mirror image of Jesus when they see us. They're not seeing all kinds of distortions in the mirror. Okay, so he's a believer, but he's also a scoundrel. You know, you know they're, they're not saying, oh, he's, he's a believer, but he's filled with fear. He's a believer, but there's no, you know, some of these buts go away. And, um, and we start looking more like Jesus, and people see us, and they say, wow, if this is what Jesus is want." Is, is like, then I'm interested in this Jesus. And as they're interested in Jesus, then they find salvation. In Hebrews 1.3, it says, And he, Jesus, is the radiance of his glory, the exact representation of his nature. And again, it's saying the same thing. This is what we need to do. We need to be... You know, as we surrender to God, we need to be the radiance of his glory. And as much as possible, you know, a, an accurate representation of his nature.
And uh, finally, um, well, that's that's really what I want to say. But I um, I want to. Um, this is totally apart from anything. But I just want to give a a, uh, a quick testimony because um, this is my. So my daughter and son-in-law and and their child. They're moving to Lansing. So. From Kentucky, so so anyway, um, so he got a job a number of years ago as a gardener. I mean, in doing you know landscape and gardening, and and then he got the job at the Ark, and then he you know so he's got like maybe twelve or thirteen years experience. I mean, obviously he knows what he's doing. He's a real asset, but he, you know, it's. Uh, <laughs> It's you know it's hard physical labor and um, and down in Kentucky it it often gets to ninety degrees and uh, he's not so fond of the heat and so he decided that he wanted to get into IT and so um, so he took these you know very difficult classes and I you know I don't know you know. It, Oracle or Microsoft or Google or, or whatever, but some of these classes that would give him skills that he could put on his resume, but but still he um, he interviews for a whole year and he um, he just doesn't get anything. And uh, I don't know about you, but interviewing for a year and getting lots of rejections would be pretty discouraging. I mean, I remember uh, when that for me it was three months. I'm thinking it'll never happen, but for a whole year, and um, and so they decide to move to Michigan and um, to resume the job search here, and um, and two weeks before uh, they make a decision when they need to really decide about packing and letting their landlord know and all that stuff. He gets a job at Liquid Web and in IT, <laughs> and and the timing of that, you know, just just when you lose all your confidence, and then God comes through, and um, he's got he's got a place to live, and he's got um, an income, I'm sure a higher income because he went from a nonprofit to. Um, you know, to an IT job, and um, it just, you know, if God can do it for him, God can do it for any of us. Thank you for listening today. Take a moment and ask Holy Spirit what he wants you to do with what you've learned. And remember, with God, all things are possible. So keep dreaming, keep praying, and simply obey. Because God is good, and he has good plans for you. You can subscribe to our blogs, learn about our speakers, and even hear from one of our team members how you can take part in transforming a city, your city with Christ. There's no time like the present. Visit ShekinahOnline.com. If this doesn't excite you, watch for our new and God-inspired product line, a newly released book by Stephanie Butler, more testimonies from our listeners like you, working to bring unity in cities across the world. If you feel led to support our podcast, you may do so on our Shekinah.com website. Or if you would like to support us monthly, there is a link labeled 
listener support on every podcast. Until next time, we thank you. We love you. Have a blessed day.